Hey everyone, Carlos here, and welcome to Roll with Adventure, a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition podcast that transports you through the magic of imagination from our world to the far-off world of Ibris, a land full of heroes and villains, the evil and the divine, monsters and miracles, and of course, magic. We are delighted to bring you this adventure from our imagination to your ears. If you like what you hear, please subscribe for future episodes and follow us on social media. If you want to learn more about us and this podcast, please visit us at RollTheAdventure.com. And now, let's listen as our heroes roll with adventure. Hello and welcome to Roll With Adventure. This session's campaign is of salt and blood. My name is Cass, and I'm the dungeon master for this ragtag band of heroes. Today, our journey into this tale of adventure, intrigue, secrets, and magic across the world of Ibris continues. This session begins on the 26th of Altor, in the year 1069 PR, during our hero's leisure time following the excitement of their last watch. Now, before we dive right in, let's meet our band of heroes. To decide the order of introduction, let's roll player initiative, not character. And remember here, we roll with adventure. So, what intelligent delight or mind-numbing tale have you to share with us tonight? Well, I learned something about the movie Gremlins. When they were first making the movie, they were really struggling to figure out how to make the Gremlins without, like, the CGI technology. Because it was, like, the 1980s and it was just not up to par. And so one of their attempts to make the gremlins, they tried to dress up a monkey as a gremlin. And shocking, it did not work because the monkeys freaked out when they tried to put the gremlin, like, head pieces on the costumes. So they had to use puppets instead. I'm going to take a plus one to this because I think it is hilarious and ridiculous and I'm glad they didn't use monkeys. Well, I also have a fun cinema fact. And I am also very happy that they did not use real monkeys for the gremlins. My fact has to do with the production of Jurassic Park, in which they had originally had all of the dinosaurs made out of clay for claymation instead of special effects, right? What is it? Computer-generated images, right? That. So they actually hired a CGI team to do the motion blur because the clay doesn't actually move quickly. So there's no motion blur, which makes it look not as realistic. So they hired a graphics team to do the motion blur. And the guy on the graphics team was like, hey, I can actually build all of these dinosaurs on the computer and they look better than in clay. But all of his superiors were like, no, don't do that because you're going to end up getting the other team fired, et cetera, et cetera. So he ended up wanting to do it anyway, and he animated a T-Rex and left it on a computer screen during a production meeting with the producers and director and just like left it up to be seen. And the producer was like, what's that? And that is how computer graphics got introduced to the world of cinema, really. So I will take a plus one for that fact. Okay, well, my fact for this week is actually a new word that I learned today, and it's fanfarinade, which is a noun, which means arrogant or boastful talk. It's from the book, the Black. well, I mean, I'm sure it's like a term that people used to use, but the way I learned it was I am reading The Black Swan by Raphael Sabatini, 
and I'm quite enjoying it. Very, very fitting for us as we are on a ship right now. Well, I mean, we're not, but our characters are. And um, yeah, I think that's a really fun word. I'm going to take a plus one because I'm not certain that this is something I can actually work into my vocabulary, but it's a fun thing to know. I also have a cinema fact or facts. And this one is about the popular trilogy, Lord of the Rings. It seems crazy that Viggo Mortensen would not be Aragorn or uh, whoever have you else would not be Gandalf, Frodo, and the like. But it was very much possible that Gandalf could have been played by Sean Connery, for instance. Aragorn was originally offered to Nicolas Cage, but he turned it down to family obligations. Also, from out of left field, Vin Diesel auditioned for the role of Aragorn, which would have been an completely different movie entirely. Jake Gyllenhaal auditioned for Frodo, and Viggo Mortensen's replacement, Russell Crowe. So just imagine Sean Connery, Vin Diesel, and Jake Gyllenhaal. What a movie. I'm going to take a plus one for that silliness. That would have been different. <laughs> okay, so mine's because of a movie, but not related to the movie. But I just watched Don't Look Up. And I had to realize a sad fact that I'm like, oh, people wouldn't be that stupid. And then I remembered the last two years of our existence. And I'm like, wait, no, people are actually that stupid. So I'm going to take a minus two and lose my faith in humanity because of that movie. Let's see what you roll. That's a 15. I also rolled a 15, but plus one, so it was 16. I got a 13 plus one, so 14, so I can fit right in there. I got a six. I got a two. Hi, everyone. I'm Emmy. I'm playing Sylvie Antaeus. She's a half-elf monk, and... I'm excited to see how this new job goes. Hi, my name's Ellie, and I'm playing Maya Volta, a human cleric of Cain. And Maya is really trying to not let too much of her mental and emotional energy go to thinking about the ship sinking. So she's really trying very hard to stay focused on other things. Hi, all. I am Disco, and I play Alice, the radiant Genasi druid who is uh, learning that the kitchen is filled with a lot of uh, spices, like secrets. Secrets are a great spice in a kitchen. Hello, everyone. My name's Corey, and I play Kalina Floros, who is a human fighter that was an ex-soldier in the Tyrant Army, and she is wishing she could swim after some blade noses, who let her taste salt water for a good while. Hello, world. It's Carlos here, and I play Marcus Vander, the scout from the Tyrant Army. Marcus is pretty afraid of sharks, apparently, so he fainted. Now that everyone has introduced themselves, let's get this adventure rolling. And remember here, we roll with adventure. Our session begins amidst the stale air of the lower decks of the Dauntless, as our heroes reconvene after the grueling tasks of their last watch. Alice, you have been released temporarily from the galley, Sylvie, you have been released from the crow's nest. Maya and Kalina, you have finished your previous watch debarnacling. And Marcus, you have awoken from your stupor, 
where you lay in a hammock below deck. A slight headache, a tension in the temples that sits behind the eyes, almost reminiscent of when a new weather system moves in, is all that remains of your unconscious state. It is dinner time. Each of you, alongside your chosen family, have shoved your way to the end of this long table and taken your place. Bowls of stew in front of you. Floating in it, you think you see things reminiscent of vegetables, including small bulbous sacks amidst a thin broth and hunks of fish, of which I am sure Alice could tell you more. A hard biscuit, capable of breaking teeth if not properly softened, serves as the closest thing to bread you will find, and a small cup of water is your ration. This brief time will likely be the last you'll see of each other before the night watch, and likely more net fishing for those of you um, who have not been given other duties. Is there anything you as a group would like to discuss? Please remember that the mess is quite loud and busy. Your friends and acquaintances, other individuals on the same watch as you, are likely also scattered around the room. So, let me know if you want to seek any of them out, or if you'd like to keep this just as an insular conversation in the family. <sighs> I don't know about the rest of you, but I am so tired. That barnacling was... A lot of work. But I'm glad to not be getting wet anymore, so there's that. Uh, yeah, I got splashed by some damn fish. Uh, blade noses, I think, what they yelled they were at. No, I don't think I've seen one of those yet. <laughs> be glad. They were annoying. <laughs> oh, Marcus, I, uh... I am so sorry for knocking you out when you fell in the water in that shark game. Thankfully it was Alice, but uh, I thought it was not Alice, and so I kind of punched. I think I hit you. So, sorry? No, you didn't hit me. I just succumbed to my own fears. Please pass the water. I, I think that's pretty understandable. We've had some unpleasant shark-related experiences in our not-too-distant past. Sylvie, how are things with Lashes in the crow's nest? Hello, Lashes? <laughs> in the crow's nest? What did I miss? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Alice got sent to the kitchen, so I don't have a partner to work with anymore, so they sent me to the crow's nest. And Lashes and Con, he's, he's the other guy that works up there. It's... It's a lot of fun. It's pretty pretty fun. We got these weird goggles, and when you put them on, it feels like you're going to die. <laughs> oh. Uh, but it only lasts for a second, and then you can see what everybody else sees, and I don't know. It's, it's not too bad. Are you, you are speaking of spectacles that bring you close to the edge of death. Sylvie, what purpose could that serve at the top of a boat? No, no, no. They, it just makes you feel like you're going to fall or it, it's just like a lot of vertigo for a second. It just isn't very fun. I was being a little bit overdramatic, uh, but they let you see what everybody else sees. So you can all work together to look for 
things. I don't know. I mean, it's a lot of mist mostly, but I saw those blade noses from up there. And also the fingers, they're like some rocks or something that mean we're going in the right direction. Oh, does it mean we're almost there? Oh, no. Wait, wait, wait. These can let you see everything as the way one person sees it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, we should we should steal these. Can we steal these, everyone? I they're like worth a lot. I think I don't think it'd be very easy to steal them. And you want to steal from the crew that has a monster strapped to the front of the boat? Oh yeah, what's with that? Well, her name is actually it starts with the C. It's very long. Alice will turn to his familiar and be like, "What was her name again? What did they say her name was?" Your familiar will whisper into your ear, Sharuna. Oh, her name is Sharuna. Not the monster tied to the front of the ship. Kalina kind of perks up. It has a name? It has more than a name. It has a friend. Did you say Sharuna? Yes. Kalina, does this sound familiar to you? I'm assuming there's a ton of people close by. There's 20 people to a table. You guys have an end of the table. It's very loud. Most people are talking and in conversation. Would you like to perceive for if anyone is blatantly uh, listening in on your conversation? No, because Kalina wouldn't look too hard. She just kind of glanced to see if anyone seems to be looking at the table, but that's about as much. So just a quick glance. So, no, not this time. Uh, let's talk about it when there's not so many people around. Oh, I learned something else. Um, apparently magic is unstable while we're at sea, so I think we should not use it. What? Apparently it can be really bad. Not use magic. Terrible, even. The consequences are horrifyingly bad. I mean, you just got knocked off the boat, right? I mean, if you're talking about using the magic and getting swept off to a raging sea being it's not that bad, I guess, yeah, it's not that bad. I think that sounds pretty bad. If you're finished eating, if we're all finished eating, maybe we should move move somewhere a little quieter? Is there anywhere on here that we can go that's a bit more private? Besides our hammocks downstairs? How long do we have until watch? Then I forget who's on tonight. Well, I think we're all on, but I think we still have a few bells. You have yet to hear first bell. So that means you have an hour and a half because this is a dog watch. Or you have a bit over an hour and a half. Well, let's, let's go on over to our hammocks and... Maybe have a quiet word? I want to hear more about what Kalina had to say. Oh, I can lay down. That'll feel so good for a few, for a bit. So shall we go? Sylvie nods. I'm, I'm sorry. Did you mean me? I was eating some of this stuff here. Oh, yeah. Oh, Marcus, are you not done eating? I was I was saying we should go. Nope. Nope. I, I just finished. I'm sorry. I, I got a bit of a headache right now, so. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, oh, I can't. I guess I shouldn't use any healing magic. Maybe Sylvie has some herbs or something that might help? Oh, Kalina, you're so smart. That's a great idea. Mm, yeah. I'm sure there's something. Anyway, I was saying we should go to the hammocks where it'll be a little bit quieter and we can talk a little more openly. So I guess Maya gets up from the table and starts heading towards the hammocks. Hopefully everybody else follows. Does everyone else follow? Alice does. Yes. So does Sylvie. Kalina does. And Kalina will check to make sure no one follows. And with that, you can head over to the hammocks. There are people that are going back and forth. There are others that are moving as well. 
you don't think anyone's directly following you. The problem is just that there aren't that many places to go. And it is just as you're arriving at the hammocks that you hear First Bell. So, the creature has a name and a friend, and, and Kalina, you were going to say something, I think. Yeah, um, do you guys remember Sybil from the orphanage? Or some of you, maybe? Of course. Well, she seems to have some weird gift. Uh, she saw all of us in that mansion. She actually described everything. Including seeing you, Daimaya. Oh, that poor girl. What a, at her age, what a thing to see. Yeah, she seemed kind of not affected by it too much. She said she had some nightmares until we uh, stopped the thing. But she did give me some advice, and one thing was that we would meet, that if we can, we should help someone named Sharuna. I figured it was someone on Atskazan, not the ship. So that's where I heard the name from. I didn't think it'd be whatever that, whatever it's supposed to be. Well, that suits me fine. I don't like the idea of it chained up against the ship. It just seems so cruel. I mean, even if it is an animal, it's not it's not any kind of life for any living creature. Right. It's awful. But it sounds like maybe it's not an animal. I, either way, I really wish that we could do something about it. I was thinking maybe you know, even just a little healing magic would perhaps be well, something that I could do, but it sounds like I can't even do that because... Well, who knows what will happen. Alice, you said it had a friend? And is it intelligent? Uh, it has many friends now. And Alice will look around the group. <laughs> it would seem we have a string of destiny here. And I have to tell you, I was really bummed about not being able to use magic because I'm about as good as a 800-year-old spinster without it. But this is for a reason. And as soon as I saw dear Sharuna entrapped, I knew, I knew we, would, we were here to get her out. And so we shall. Now... Are we planning mutiny? Is that what we are doing? Well, I was hoping for something a little quieter, you know, maybe find one of our work details gets us somewhere near and perhaps we could do something uh, without anybody noticing us doing it. I think, I don't think we can take on the entire ship. Yeah, I really don't want to end up in the ocean here. I think that would be awful. And if, especially if we can't use magic, I don't think I, for one, would be very helpful in a mutiny. I normally am all for overthrowing tyrannical leaders. I don't know. Whatever she is. She's a captain, technically speaking. But I don't know about you guys, but I've, I'm always exhausted after they make us work us. I don't know how well even I do in a fight with, with or without magic. And, I mean, even in the unlikely event that we win. I don't know how to sail a ship, so I think maybe if we could just quietly let her, you know, let her free, um, maybe it'll be a while before anybody notices, and, and they won't know we did it, and we can just go on with our lives. 
pretending to be totally innocent. Well, does anyone have any plans for breaking chains if we're going to do this? Because a knife's not going to break it. I surely plan on breaking a chain, Kalina. Probably several chains at that. Well, you know, the debarnacler is kind of heavy. Maybe we could smash at the chains with it? Marcus, don't you know how to open locks? Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, I can... I can definitely open locks or give it the old uh, university trap. So then we just need a distraction for the midshipman and the quartermaster, if he's on board, or anyone else who happens to be on top deck when we're working. You know, it's re- it's really funny. It, normally, this would be very easy for me. I would just go over and go, woo, and wave my hands a little, and there would be several distractions. <laughs> but it's almost as if a being has placed us here, al- not allowing me to do so. How interesting. You know, they're not always watching us. It seems like, I mean, what we're doing is pretty boring for us. I think it's boring for them, too, and... And they kind of, you know, go around looking at the different work parties. I, th- I think they're not always hovering over our shoulder. Like like when we were debarnacling today, you know, they kind of let us go down the side, do our thing. Well, that's the issue, isn't it? That we're worried about them being over our shoulder as in a supervisory way. But I mean, if we could cause something to get them off of our backs a little. Or just wait for the right moment. Though a distraction would be more sure, I worry that it would uh, incriminate whoever, you know, causes the distraction. And if we're trying to do this quietly so they don't know it was us, so we don't get in trouble, I just don't want any of us to get in trouble. Which means, ideally, we ne- we should either sneak on with another work detail and hope they don't, they aren't noticing that there's extra people, or try and sneak it while we're doing our work. Yeah. But all this planning hurts. Can I interject? Just a little bit here. Of course, Marcus. If we need sneaking, then I'm the snooker. Sneaker. I'm sorry, my head hurts still. Do you feel well enough? I, I feel well enough to do the things that need doing, but don't ask me to take a math test right now. Out of character. Are there math tests? <laughs> don't even know if there's math. I don't know. Did you go to school? I'm sure there are math tests for people that go to school. Now there are. Well, did you go to school? That's the real question. It's quite possible that you may have gotten some... You probably got some rudimentary training in the army because a scout that doesn't know how to count uh, and do numbers can't necessarily give viable information. So that's probably... If, if you didn't go to school, that's probably where. Went to the school of hard docks. <laughs> Most schools would have been in larger cities. Live or die. Maya probably went to school. Maya sure did go to school. She can do the maths. Yeah, rich people school. Well, anyway, if we're planning on sneaking through or opening locks or anything like that, I, that's my wheelhouse. So... We should go talk to the boy, too, to see if he can give us some insight so your sneaking could be more prepared. The boy? Which boy are you talking about? Oh, th- right. So, sorry. What What is his name? Gregorius? Is that his name? I'm not good with children. Uh, Quintus? 
Weren't you part of an orphanage for years? Well, you all know how that went, you know. That's a fair point. They've, they weren't too fond of my stories of, of the war of the past, so. Or my tips on interior decorating, so. I love your interior decorating tips, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. I always say, hang the omens by the door. Anyway, sorry. Well, you were a good threat to get them in line. <laughs> it, it did work, yes. The boy with with the misty eyes, the Miss Genasi, he uh, is a friend of dear Sharuna, and he knows the interworkings of the ship better than anyone, and I'm sure that he would aid a band of mischievous adventurers in freeing his dear friend being what is the point of the being by the way why does the why is the snake thing on the front of the ship anyway a snake monster snake fish monster uh, that's all i thought it was it's not a monster am i a monster kalina or i don't answer that no you're a person that looks like glass right you don't have like webbed feet or a snout for snakes or look like a fish or a shark monster that we just killed but Kalina, even those who look as though they may fe be fearful, you have to understand that those traits are chosen to protect them just the same as your fists protect you. So they're not monsters. It, it is not what is on the outside that makes a monster or makes a, a, a man or other than that. Well, how do you think we'll be able to talk to Quintus? I certainly haven't had any opportunity, and I think Kalina's been looking for a chance to talk to him since we got on board, but we're always so busy, and I never see him around. Well, he happens to visit the kitchen uh, quite often, so I've been told. Oh, that's perfect. So I will snag him with a charcuterie or something. So we should wait to try and free Sharuna until we talk to him? So we're not doing this tonight. All I'm saying is we want to be able to do it right. And if it can get done by tonight, then it can be done. I will try to work my angles and... Yes, once you have the information, maybe... Uh, oh, this will be silly. They'll never let you bring us a snack. Um... How will you get us the information? Oh, I know you could send your familiar. Uh, I very well could. You're right. Uh, but I will need to be putting him into a form that is more acceptable to be seen on the ship. Perhaps a rodent or a talking plank of wood. There is an indignant... A rodent? I... I sorry, I heard something in my ear. <laughs> Did everyone hear that? Or just Alice? Yeah. <laughs> just Alice. But I think your familiar might be upset with you. Well, he won't have much of a choice. Um, it's not like he can stop my incantation or anything. Ah, uh, but can you magic? <gasps> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. You know, we could just wait till the next meal. That would probably be easier. Also, out of out of character, do I know it's a familiar? Should I have said scarf scarf thing? I've said he's a familiar. I've told you. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. I just wanted to make sure I was not mixing my knowledge. Yeah, I think he covered that whenever we like could start seeing it. I think I said something like uh, along the lines of he's a creature of my existential soul personified in the physical world or something like that. 
is a good idea, Kalina. Maybe we should wait for the next meal, or at least definitely wait until we have information from Alice about it. Eh, well, or another thing we could do. One of us could try to talk to Sharuna, assuming uh, she doesn't, she, it, doesn't stop singing, or does stop singing at some point. Oh, Kalina, that's a great idea. I wonder, yes, we should certainly try. Maybe we'll find an opportunity tonight. I don't know about great. No, I think it's a great idea. <laughs> I don't know about great, but it's an idea. I think it's wonderful. I think we should. We can go up to her and say, Ah, Sharuna. That's, that's not a good idea. Okay, sorry. I'm going to taper off here. <laughs> Kalina shrugs. I don't know how to say hello to whatever Sharuna would be. I'm certainly willing to try, although I'm not... I don't know. I don't understand her singing, so I'm not sure if she'll understand me. But I could try. I just... I just hate seeing her chained there like that, and... Goodness knows how how long she was chained to the ship on the way back to Merstwall, and... What terrible place they kept her in, somehow bound below the deck. And while we were on Merstwall, waiting to board. Well, remember, she might be the reason why we haven't gotten killed by anything out here either. I mean, there's a reason the captain's using her. I mean, there's a reason the warden's using us. Yeah, we're cannon fodder. Oh, sorry, that was probably not the right thing to say. No, I mean, we're we're an expendable resource to her, as I'm sure Sharuna is to the captain, but I don't know. I don't know why she's there, but it just doesn't feel right to me. It feels like I don't know. Exploitation, like unfair it's no different than using another tool in war. I mean, Alice's hair is standing up. <laughs> I disagree, Kalina. I think it, Sharuna's alive. It's not like she's just some axe or a uh, shield. She's 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 a, a living, breathing being who's been taken by Talren and taken from her life and goodness knows what's happened to her and the I just I just don't feel right about leaving her captive there it feels maybe a little too close to home while I agree with you Maya if we let her go and the whole crew and everyone on the ship dies because we are no longer safe from whatever is being kept away by her is that worth it well, I mean, they didn't set out for Atsakan with her when they left the first time, but, but you do make a really good point, and, well, maybe Quintus will be able to tell Alice why she's there, and I don't know. I'm not trying to be mean, Maya. It's just, I would, I'm only helping, want to help her because Sybil said we should, but we do need to be, one, careful. We don't want enemies of the captain or the crew. Uh, they'll probably just throw us overboard. And we don't know why she's there. But I do want to help her. But not because she. we think she might deserve to be free. We don't know. We don't know her or anything about... Sorry, it, but we don't know anything about it. We just need to be careful. That's kind of what I'm trying to get at. You're right. Usually I'm the cautious one. I don't... It just feels too familiar. But 
maybe Quintus can tell us more, and, well, if, if nothing else, let's just agree that we'll free her when we get down to can if we can't do it sooner. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I mean, you're right. Maybe we get more information and it would be fine if we didn't have her on the ship. Yeah, I promise on that. We'll free her when we get to Atskazan if we don't get her before then. Plus, if we set her free and they can't get back through the mist wall, then maybe the warden doesn't ever come to Atsakan. Oh, what a great idea, Sylvie. Oh, that would be a miracle. Okay, so add somehow sabotage the boat to our list of uh, things to do when we get to land. Oh, that'll be fun. Although we'd still have to deal with the crew. I mean, hopefully it's a... Which I would have my swords. That might be fun. Well, land is hopefully big enough that, uh, well, maybe we won't have to fight them. Oh, I kind of hope we do. I don't actually know how many people are on this boat that are part of the crew. I've actually not been counting. As much as I hate being on ships and I don't like the amount of work that we're doing, I, I feel like at least they're fair. They're better than the warden and... I don't know, I don't think they necessarily deserve to die. I don't know whether they deserve to be stranded either, but... <sighs> being free of the Warden is very tempting. You know, if you're gonna... Not everyone can live happily ever after. It's, it might get to a point where it's us or them. If we keep going down this route. Well, I guess we'll... <sighs> see the situation when we arrive at it, but I... I don't know. I mean, obviously, I know we can't all live happily ever after. I mean, look at us and our lives. Maya kind of gestures around at the group, but then sort of more broadly at the rest of the colonists. But Maya... Yes? The situation is at hand. It is here before us. And we are tied to it. And... This creature has already been promised freedom to us by that pull. And I understand everyone's concern, but this is not a tool we're talking about. This is a being, and we do not get to dictate its usefulness based on what it can do for us. Especially who we are and what we have been used for. So, I say that the time is now, and a lion does not choose when it roars, and we are to give them hell for what they have done, and we will free this creature regardless of if we get to the other shore or not, because it will all be okay, and we should know that. So... Who's with me? And Alice will put up his hand. <laughs> well, I'm with you, but a lion does chew when it, it gets to roar. That's the point of the roar. But I'm with you. Marcus, I've been a lion. Do we know what lions are? Are lions? I, I've... Are lions native to Ibris? What are they? What are? What do we have? <laughs> We're going to say you have mountain lions. <laughs> Marcus, I have been a mountain lion. I have literally become one. Sometimes the roar just comes out like a burp. <laughs> well, do you speak for all lions or are you just kind of like a lion 
don't know, it was reflexive. I was one moment, I was like, ooh, look at this flower, and then I was roaring. I didn't choose. But maybe you were just, maybe that's just, but you could choose. I mean, have you met any other lions? I feel like we're kind of losing track. Listen, the zoology thing is just getting us off topic here. I am with you, Alice. I don't disagree with you at all, but I also think that we should make sure that we have a good plan. And so we should wait until you can speak to Quintus. I want to free Sharon as soon as, as we possibly can. Unless that plans to assassinate the entire crew, I'll be on board for that. Well, yeah, no, I don't think we can assassinate the whole crew. Let's do it. Let's do it. No, no, I do not want to die in a shipwreck because we have no sailors because we killed all of them. Sylvie, think how happy Ashen will be. So many new friends there. Um, Ashen does not. That's not quite how it works. Oh, okay. Sorry. Nope, not quite. You're good. It's okay, but... (laughs) I agree that we should do it as soon as we can. Oh, so we do actually need to know their numbers before we try with that? Yes, yes. We would, uh, I think, freeing Sharuna is one thing, and it's a, it's a smaller plan that seems more manageable to me. Taking over the entire ship seems, uh, if not uh, dangerously foolhardy, then at least something that we need to think more about. Well, also, the mage would probably be a little hard to deal with if we could make it to land. We have to remember that they do have one of those, at least. How does she use magic? On the boat. What's her secret? Hey, Cass. Yes? With that question, would Alice think that maybe there's, like, a difference here between natural magic and, like, arcane magic and... Would you like to hear about the differences between your education and Maya's education about how magic operates on the ocean? Mm-hmm. Let's do it natural magic it pulls from the ebb and the flow and it is a la- it can work minorly out in the water but anything of arcane or divine nature is restricted and this is known as the vengeance of the sea it is said that when hadoom the lord of storms and sea one of the three high kings of the Triadrian pantheon, when he wrestled the oceans into submission, he did so with powerful divine magic. And in retribution, to never allow another mastery over the sea, Ibris, the world itself, rebelled and made magic wild upon the ocean. Magic is stable on land because... That is where the ley lines of the world, or also known as dragon lines, flow directly through. Because of the amount of water between the uh, ocean's bottom and where a vessel is at the top, magic becomes wild and chaotic as it has to transfer through there. While on land, you're able to ground yourselves. Druidic and natural magic, also the magic of hags on the other hand, often draw power from the surroundings and from the natural elements, or from other beings and favors. That kind of magic is able to operate. 
it still has a chance of going wrong, though. I will say that. And the more powerful you attempt to use magic, the more likely it will cause horrific effects. So Alice will, like, then put away the diagram that he's shown everyone by drawing in dust on the ground of the ship. And now everyone knows. (laughs) Well, it's all magic. What do you mean there's different types that... Well, exactly what I said. And there's evidence right here of it. You know, there's your divine magic, your arcane uh, magic, which, you know, makes order of chaos. And then there's magic like mine, which is just friggin' weird and (laughs) unnatural. I think, Lena, it's like... There's defensive fighting, and then there's offensive fighting, and there's, you know, there's different types of battle tactics and uh, arranged fighting. So, you know, there's, there's, it's all fighting, but there's different types of it. I think it's maybe a little bit like that. Somewhere up on deck, second bell rings. Does that mean we have half an hour left or an hour left? One hour. I have an additional magic function on the ocean question. Are key points magic, or are they different? (laughs) Key points are drawn only from within yourself. Yes, key points! That doesn't mean you can't have magic within yourself. Key points! But also, I will take that, that's fine. Monk abilities still work. The flavoring of yours is that you draw on your own power and the teachings of Ashen. So, Sylvie honestly might think that because it's related to the teachings of Ashen that her healing is a divine gift and therefore could go wrong but out of character I will tell you that you can use them with impunity great I love that (laughs) hey out of character question real quick Cass um any patron gift ability is that considered magic or is that your class features are fine. Cantrips and spells, that's when your magic reaches into the world of arcane. Got it. Thanks. I'm a fighter. I just hit things. <laughs> I'm kind of cool. Oh, I was muted. I said Kalina's not just a fighter. She's so much more to us than that. Oh, there you go being too nice again. I'm not. You're just, you're a very important part of this family. Okay, so I think we're at least agreed that we do want to release Sharuna and that we will wait to hear from Alice what he can learn from Quintus before we make any moves. Is that fair, at least? I. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. I just throw ideas at down. I don't make plans. Sounds good to me. Okay, well, then we have a plan, and I think it's a good one. And with that consensus, the rest of your leisure time will pass as you continue to discuss minor details of your plan and the events of the day filling Marcus in on some of the other things that had gone on. When third bells rings, you get up and you begin to get ready. And you are all at your station for fourth bells. We will begin in the closest location to where you are, back in the galley with Alice. 
Alice, you report to the galley following your dinner and leisure time as the fourth bell rings. As you return, the galley is a frenzy of activity. Dishes from the first dinner watch are being scrubbed by the other colonists assigned to the galley, Amado Irini and Zasha Vasil Aeneas. Responsible for helping in the galley during the starboard watch work details. Watches. But upon seeing you, they quickly remove their aprons and scuttle out for their own dinner, and leisure with waves of gratitude that you returned on time. The dinner rush is chaotic and yet exceedingly organized, at least from your perspective. Soup and hard biscuit are portioned precisely into bowls, along with rations of water before they're handed to crew, followed by colonists. You stand behind a wide wooden table that's been placed against the door of the galley. In front of you on the table is a large pot of stew and a stack of bowls made of smooth, well-used wood. The last of the crew members stands before you, and beyond them, you see a line of weary colonists waiting for their turn. You ladle another portion of soup into yet another bowl and pass it to the waiting sailor. Beside you, Perry, or Pericles, the halfling, hands out the sailor's portion of hardtack, while he also seems to use mealtimes as an opportunity for gathering new gossip and sharing out what he's heard. The sailor moves along quickly, having nothing to add to the gossip Perry has just shared. But soon enough, the second dog watch has been served their dinner. A few minutes later, you and the other galley hands gather around a large tub of, full of steaming water. It has taken some time just to get to this stage of doing the dishes. Many buckets of seawater were hauled up and heated on the galley stove before being added to this tub full of dirty bowls. Perry rolls up his sleeves and reaches into the water, grinning at you as he says, Have you heard? Have you heard? I heard a rumor. He sort of splashes the water a bit as he cleans a plate. Mr. Croup. Mr. Croup, the first mate, you know, the one that is always giving you guys a hard time, the one that sent you down here to join us. I heard. I heard from Jessup that Mr. Croup cut a crewman's ear clean off back when they were in Atzacan. It was disciplinary action out a fit of administrative rage and hysteria. That sounds horrible. On the other side of the tub, Louisa, the gnome, sort of looks at you and goes, It was probably because of the gods. The gods are always doing bad things. He probably angered the gods. It probably was my fault anyway. It's always my fault. Always. Well, I heard an even crazier rumor. You would never believe it. In the crow's nest, there is a pair of goggles that anyone can try on whenever they want to. And they can help you see incredibly in, like, different colors. And they're right there on, on, the, crew, on the crow's nest for anyone who wants to try them on, apparently, and, and get a sight. 
Alice, whoever told you that, they really, they didn't tell you the whole thing. There's actually three of them. They're called the Eyes of the Many. Three? Yeah, they're called the Eyes of the Many. The Eyes of the Many, oh. Yeah, the, the, the captain, we found them back in Atsakan, actually. Them scribbling. We found them back in Atsakan. Amongst with all the various other treasures picked up. Thought a... Uh, thought the captain was going to sell them for a nice uh, tidy sum that could be split up amongst the crew, but no, just keeping them for the ship. Which makes sense. They make seeing through the mist wall much easier. <laughs> really, they should put them on that... on our, on our cabin, boy. And so you can see straight through it like it's not even there. But he's too precious. She won't let him even climb. Last time he tried to climb the, uh, Rigging, he almost fell and died. But, hmm, what's a few broken bones? Of course, he's also the only one that can talk and calm that serpent down, so, yeah, it's probably a good thing not to get him killed. Oh, the serpent needs calming. It's strange, it seems perfectly happy. Is that another one of the treasures you picked up from Ats again? The serpent? Ah, I, I, I told you earlier today. The serpent saved his life, actually. One of the times when he did try and climb up, he, he fell down, fell out into the water during one of the storms. Ah, all the storms on the coast of Atskan. Oh, I'm surprised that we didn't get smashed to bits. Wow. You know, Atskan, it's got some pretty beautiful things. I wasn't allowed to go out, actually, off the ship, really. I was, I was allowed to stay on the beach, just, just collecting things and cooking for the crew while they chopped down trees for repair and things like that, did a little scouting, but I, I wasn't allowed to go out, and Louisa over by goes, it's because they don't trust you. Like, they don't trust me. The gods! The gods are always angry! If you went into the forest, they'd be angry with you, too? And Perry Sir just waves his hand at her, like, don't listen to her, don't listen to her. Yeah, but you know, I heard this story. This, this oh, there are these singing spirits. There's pawns, and and there's these, these beautiful singing voices and whistling that happens around them. One of the some of the guys that came back, they brought back some reeds they were using for uh, making flutes, uh, just for uh, entertainment. But they said that that area by those reeds was like. The pond was alive, singing. Singing ponds. Singing ponds are a sign of the gods' anger. If you go into a singing pond, Louisa, be quiet. <laughs> wow, this ads again. Crazy stuff, singing ponds. Are you sure they weren't singing to drown people? Or something like that. Sounds likely. Um, but other treasures. That's exactly what a godforsaken place would be like. Right, Louisa. So, so helpful and secure. But you said they had other treasures, too? There were... As you ask that question, there's a rap on the counter behind you guys. And a small voice pipes up behind you. Uh, I... I'm here for the Captain Summer. The, 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 uh, so, sorry. Uh, I am here for the Captain's Supper. 
Well, if it's summer you're looking for, this is the wrong season for that. Summer? Oh, wait, no, it is summer. Is it summer? Wait, hold on, hold on, I can check this. Can I take my, can I um, use Druidcraft to make a magic mirror to ask, to see if it's, uh, uh, what season it is really quickly? You don't have to uh, use magic to know what season it is. I'm doing it for show. I'm doing it for show. Are you sure you want to use magic? You did just have this conversation where you told people. Alice would try and do it. Please roll me a d100. Oh my goodness. (sighs) We should not have done this. Okay. It is a... Uh, is this is a nine? I think. Wait, is this a four or a nine? Hold on, hold on. It's a four. It is a four. It's just this beautiful script. A four on a D one hundred. Yes, I got two, I got the zero zero and a four. Yeah, and a four. Okay, you are successful. You feel that the magic is strange. It feels brittle in a way you wouldn't expect it to normally. Almost as if it was... And as as this mirror sort of forms, it's not as much a formed from glass as if you almost feel like it's formed from salt crystals. And today is the 26th of Altor, which means that bounty has already happened, which is the autumn equinox therefore beginning the next season. Bounty occurred about 10 days ago on the 16th of Altor. So in doing this, what I'm really hoping is Alice is going to expose his glass-like skin and he'll take his hood down and the magic will display on the mirror like falling leaves, why not? Before he snatches it away and looks back at the boy with a smile. As you look towards Quintus, He's older than you remember. Or is he? He has a weathered, maybe even a haunted look behind his eight-year-old eyes. His hair is black and curly, and the smell of petrichor, of rain, on dry earth. It seems to almost suffuse the area around him. As you lock eyes with him, you realize that while your eyes are closer in color and description to pools of quicksilver, his are closer to pools of eddying gray-blue clouds swirling around black pupils like the eye of a hurricane. Behind you, the cook, Selini. She sings out, Just a moment, Quintus. We'll have you on your way. And you can hear her going about preparing food behind you. Quintus stands there a bit awkwardly as he waits for the captain's food. Are you going to start a conversation with him, Alice? Why is it a young man like you? Doesn't even know summer is over. Shouldn't you be enjoying the warm weather with physical activity or whatever it is you children and he like gags but tries not to show it like do 
He opens his mouth and he laughs. And it's a sound that you can remember from the orphanage. Quintus was a nice boy. He was kind, he was polite, and he was quite studious. I... I I know that summer's over, but I, I just... I stumble over my words sometimes. Oh, right. Yes. Vernacular comes over time, and lots of time you have to get more versed in it. Righto. Um, I, I imagine that the sea is a hard life for you after so many years on land. You get used to it pretty quick. Uh, I I got my sea legs uh, within only a couple days, uh, but but I'm not allowed to climb in the rigging anymore. I I fell down a couple times, uh, so I mostly just uh, help the captain uh, with doing things for her and for the first mate, and keep her place in order and uh, fix her tea and get her food. Um. And, yeah. Sea legs. Is this some type of spell to help you walk better on water? Oh, oh, oh no, no, no. Uh, You you know the the feeling the first couple days you were on the ship where your legs were like jelly and you might have been a bit sick. Uh, it, it's when you get past that, when you get used to being able to walk on the ship with all with the motion of the waves, and you you don't stumble as much. And yeah. Oh, right. Human, well, not human. Um, corp- normal corporeal legs, jelly, right? Well, my legs are quite rigid, uh, as you can see. I they're seemingly glass-like. You see, I I'm a genasi myself, so I don't have normal legs that uh, retain jelly-like qualities. Oh. Um, well. Your skin's pretty. Thank thank you. Mo- some, some find it to be quite displeasing and fearful. But it is good to know that you don't find it that way. No. Uh, how, how could your... How, how could your skin be scary? Right. Like, how could my skin be scary? How could a water serpent who is bound to the front of the ship be scary? Like, why do so many people think things are scary that aren't scary? It's because they don't understand them. They 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 just think that because they look different, that means that yeah. They're to be feared. But really, they're they're not. Like, her, her name's Sharuna, uh, and she's actually really nice, but, um... And you see the, this... That haunted look sort of comes... Sneaks back into his eyes. Uh, and he stops talking. Oh, well, that's so funny, because um, my sheep who are down below, who I can communicate with, uh, their names are Bria and Geneva and Genovia... And you should, you know, you should meet them sometime if, if you like talking to things that normally people can't talk to. Because I do that all the time. Oh. 
she's told me a lot of stories about uh, all the things that are different under the water and a little bit about where she lives uh, but uh, um, I, 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 I I can't talk to sheep I maybe can teach you how oh really yes I I'd really like that uh, yeah um, yeah for the first time he looks like he's really smiling and it almost looks like he's forgotten whatever makes him worried whatever haunts him and as his face is jovial like that uh, the cook clears her throat and uh, Quintus looks over and sees that the cook is holding a tray with the captain's food and he he quickly takes it from her and uh, turns to leave the galley but he looks back at you with a smile and Alice as he's looking back at you with a smile the cook reminds him remember to be back soon the captain will be quite cross if our esteemed guest is not fed we'll have her kelp and fish prepared shortly and that haunted look starts returns to his eyes uh, yeah, I'll I'll be back soon. Her singing sounds a bit hungry. Um, when he turns to leave, I want to turn back to the bo- singing boss lady and um, I'll be like, oh, did you did you say kelp and fish? Well, I happen to be very skilled with kelp uh, and fish preparation. If you are needing help with that. She will gladly uh, have you help her prepare Sharuna's dinner. Uh, To be honest, while you're preparing Sharuna's dinner, she looks at you and goes, We're about the same height. Why don't you deliver dinner to her with Quintus when he comes back? Oh, I could never. These arms, they're so fragile. Okay, I'll do it. Fine, I'll do it. I'll do it. Fine. She thinks you're very strange, but is perfectly happy to have you go do it. She doesn't like doing it, and the gnome and the halfling are too short. And with that settled, we will reach high into the crow's nest next. Sylvie, you climb the ropes carefully making your way slowly but surely to the highest part of the ship once more. Lachius reassured you that it gets easier, but it's certainly not easier yet. The climb itself is daunting enough, but adding the swaying of the ship that increases as you climb, it is almost too much. This time, you are partway through the hatch to the crow's nest before you feel a reassuring hand on your elbow helping you up and making your somewhat terrifying struggle a little easier. As you look up, you find you're looking up into Khan's face as he helps you up, and a few moments later, Lachius comes up the hatch behind you. Did you bring them? Khan asks, to which Lachius nods his head and unwraps what looks like what and unwraps what looked to be a sash across him, unfurling it into a few thin, tarp-like blankets. Khan takes one, and Lachius offers the other to you. 
It will keep the chill and stop the dew from forming directly on your clothes. Will you accept it? Oh, yeah, thanks. I would hate to get the clothes Alice made me all wet and dewy. Luscious will give you a bit of a smile. As you each wrap yourselves tight and put on the eyes of the many, you once more feel a disorienting shift, though much less than the effect was the first time you put it on today. You set yourself pointed towards the bow, hoping you'll be able to see your friends below. The wind, it whips past you, fluttering your blanket tightly as it presses around you. And you almost miss Khan's question. So I know all about our resident unwilling mage here, but I don't know much about you, miss. Where'd you grow up? What's your story? Oh, we're sharing life stories? I grew up in a pretty small little village um, with my mom. We... uh, It was really peaceful. It was a lot of fun. Is your mom around a lot? No. She died when I was... When I was young. Huh. Well... I guess all three of us share things like that, then. I I don't really remember my mother anymore. She died when... My brother and I, when we were younger. I was mostly raised by my sister until she abandoned us, though. Hmm. I understand. I... I also was abandoned by... A friend. But anyway, after a while, I ended up in a pretty big city, and I found what felt right for me, so. And then I ended up on Merstall, so. You found your calling? Something like that. Just, I mean, the Temple of Ashen, so not where everyone would find comfort, but it worked for me. A priest? Priestess. I share my veneration to all of them. But... Ashen. (laughs) It's a lot of death. Yeah, everyone dies. I just found it... better to not be afraid of death. The conversation dies down for a little bit. It gets quiet. Khan seems to be rolling something around in his mind. And just as you think that it's getting a bit awkward, or that maybe all of you are just going back to your jobs and not talking, Luscious pipes up. Con. Yeah? When we're back on solid ground. If you want. Well. I... I can try to help you find a memory of your mom and make it stronger, make it bigger, make it something that you can actually visit. If you want that. And Khan's quiet for a while. And then he says, Yeah. Thanks. After a while, I think Sylvie would look over at Lashes and say, Thank you for... Thank you for helping me before we left. I didn't have a lot of fun, but you made it a little bit better, more tolerable. He'll look at you and say, 
I really didn't have a choice about doing most of the things that I did. But near the end, it was those little bits of defiance that kept me going. Till she sent me here. How did you... How did you end up working for her? What did... I don't understand. You see Lashus sort of pulls up his sleeve, and you see on his arm is where there should be a tat- where should there should be the branding of the crime that was committed. You see instead a sort of an arcane glyph of some kind, and you've never seen anyone have one like that. The only thing that pops into your head is misuse of magic. And he he looks at it and goes, ah. Khan knows, so. No good trying to hide it, but I... Back home, I... I was apprenticed, I learned my skills, I... I was actually a silversmith by trade. And then my magic, it all came out one day. And the day that it came out, it it hurt people. It was raw, it was wild, it was chaotic, it caused a lot of problems. And I was given a choice. I could go into the military and help them. Or I could be sentenced, and I didn't want to fight. I didn't want to cause pain. I didn't want to kill people. I didn't want them to take my magic and twist it and make it into a weapon. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds ironic, considering everything that, you know, that I was party to on Back in the Prison. But, so I, I chose Exile, and I was sent to Merstwall, and when I arrived, I was serving my sentence, and I overpowered the magic dampening. It was an accident. Uh... One of my mates was getting tortured, and because of how powerful I showed myself as being, I was given the choice of execution right then and there, or to work for the warden. And I guess I was a coward. She has some nasty magics of her own. Not that she's a magic user, but she comes from a, a long line of enchanters, of creators of magical objects. And she has some nasty ones to make you do 
what she wants when she wants. And that's how I ended up. It took me a really long time to even find my way back to the surface. Not just a puppet. But she kept hurting people. I know that she never used my magic to kill anyone, but made me hurt people. And that's it's not something I wanted to do. I'm sorry. It it's awful that they took that choice away from you. That they she all of those things. How how are you here? I never would have thought that she would let you leave. If she killed me, it would have been reported. She'd had to get special dispensation to be able to even keep me alive. And likely, the only way to not have people looking into what she's doing was to just send me away. And technically, I'm a colonist just like all the rest of you. At least on paper. Well, I'm glad you're rid of her now. Yeah, at, at least for the next six months. Then she'll send the next ship. And then after that, I'm sure that she'll come. I'm sure that she'll follow us. She had some grand designs. Designs bigger than Talren. And I think Atsakan's... That's where she's going to start. And if there's one person that I would use my magic on to hurt, maybe even kill, it would be her before she hurts anyone else. Khan, on the other side of the crow's nest, gives a low whistle. He's like, don't need to be so... Uh... <laughs> Don't need to be such a downer, Lashes. You've got a whole continent. You could keep running from her forever. At least you decided that your magic uh, wasn't going to be used for war. Instead, my sister just abandoned us. And went off to war. What was your sister's name? Kalina. What? <laughs> I just realized who it was in this session. I was like, oh god. Sylvie's head like whips around and like she makes herself dizzy from how quickly she like does a double take. You make everyone up there dizzy. Oh yeah, I forgot it, that happened. I, um, I don't know. My mom and my brother. They got killed for war. <laughs> and what does she do? She goes right off after them. She goes right off after them and left us with dear old dad. Ah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we all do the best with the situations we're given. Um, 
I... You see Luscious sort of looking at you with, like, slightly shaking his head, like, no. Like, don't. He's already made this connection. Don't say anything. Don't, don't, don't do it. Don't. She very slightly nods her head. And as Sylvie grapples with that, with a tragic backstory slowly unfolding, actually two tragic backstories slowly unfolding, one that hits a little closer to home than she might have expected, let's move down to the main deck, to Maya, Marcus, and Kalina. You stand in the waist. For those of you who don't know ships, that's the uncovered section of the main deck. Looking at a grizzled old sailor. Crewman Galren, who has overseen all of your nights of net fishing these past weeks. The air is cool now, and the damp of the ocean settles on you like an unpleasant second skin. Unfortunately for you, you're the last crew to be handed their fishing gear, and therefore by process of elimination, you'll be fishing from the bow. A place everyone, even the colonists, seem to avoid. The crew's fear of the monster, of the serpent, seems to have rubbed off on them. Crewman Gelren holds out an old fishing net, stiff with salt. In his other hand... He holds two flat wooden clubs that you know are called priests, and which are used for stunning the fish you catch. Who will step forward first to receive their fishing gear? Well, you or me tonight, Marcus? I guess so. <clears throat> you want to go first? Uh, I, I guess I'll go first, Kalina. I'll make myself useful. Uh, it's not like that. I just did it first last night. Figured you might want to go first tonight. Oh, um, no, I just, I just was, I'm sorry, I was being a little bit down on myself. Um, it's nothing, but uh, yeah, I, I can do it. Uh, I'll gladly go first. Marcus, you step up to the old man. He looks you over, humming and hollering as he does each shift before reaching towards a priest this time. You've got the right build and demeanor. Quiet footsteps, deft hands, good for trapping and hunting. You better take good care of him, or something there will get you first. You know, you look just like young Mikos. Maybe a little shorter. And he was a good hunter, raised to it he was. But he was no match for old Shardtooth, though, no sir. Mikos tracked the beast for hours before he found it. A great tall thing it is, big as a tree. Its head and body all covered in feathers. And its feet are tough scales. Two thick, powerful legs. Small eyes on either side of its head and two huge tusks that reach towards the sky. Or it would be two. But old Shardtooth, he's missing one. Only the jagged stump shows what once was there. Not that the missing tusk helped poor young Mikos. No, he snuck up on the brute. But it must have been a hide tougher than rock. For Mikos didn't even draw blood with his first powerful strike. 
The beast spun on him, and, well, there wasn't even enough of him left for his comrades to bring him back for a proper old burial. Old Shard Tooth ate him up right there. It's got a taste for our blood now. It'll be back for more once we get there. His eyes are wild as he hands the priest to you. Uh, thank you for that information. Take the, what he passes to me. Kalina, are you going next? Yep, and she'll look a little at Marcus to see what he looks like after that terrifying story. Just glaze, like, oh, okay, thank you for telling me about another deadly thing that can kill me. Crewman Gilren, he'll look you over, Kalina, and where in the past he had sometimes handed you a priest, he instead reaches towards the net for you this time. You're a fine lass with good strong bones. That's what you are. Holland Netsier is just the beginning. You'll be put to work, I'm sure. Maybe mining. Yes, mining. I'm sure of it. The Republic will want all the metal you can find. Maybe you'll even mine that Atsakite the captain and her mate think will make us all rich. I ain't never seen a stone like that. Darn unnatural, I tell you. It shines. It shines at night, glowing like the violet flower in its strange veins, twisting and jagged like a crystal, but malleable like a metal. Yes, yes, that's what you'll be put to. And then he cackles quietly as he hands you the net. Well, hopefully for my sake, you're not the one that assigns us. And she'll walk away after that. Maya, as you are the last of the group, Gelren takes one look at you, and as you have come to know, towards you, he's usually been rather insulting. He starts to hand a priest to you. As he says, You better pray hard you survive in the godforsaken lands we're heading to. It isn't made for folk as dainty as you. If you survive long enough, maybe you'll be good for tasks too dangerous for the real useful folk. Like harvesting feathers and stealing razor wing eggs. That's how Benny died last time. Those little wings of death sliced him to fucking bits. Tiny as a wee little birdie with feathered wings as sharp as razors. A whole swarm of him descended on him, ripped him to bits. He lets go of the priest, his eyes wide and wild. I'm sure they're using his skull as a nest now. Maya will take the priest, step back quickly and say, Ah, thanks. And just like, walk away. As you all turn towards the bow of the Dauntless and leave Crewman Galren behind you, you hear something strange and unsettling. While the serpent's song echoes out across the waters, you also hear laughter. A child's laughter. A little girl's laughter. A vice-like grip suddenly clamps down on your arm, Maya, and you turn, whipping back to look straight into the mad eyes of Galren. Elsena is here. She's still here. Always been here. Always will be. She was but a young girl. A stowaway. 
His grip increases on your arm, becoming painful. She hid herself away in the cargo bay, long before Captain Zarender's time, back when this ship was named the Black Falcon. She wanted to run away from home, to live a life of adventure. But there was a storm, and the cargo shifted. She was trapped and died. She died on this very ship. She died, and now she wants all of us too. She'll take us all soon enough. Soon enough. The fog and mists, they seem to intensify around you. And then you hear the little girl's laughter again, and almost a snatch of a ghostly song. Though this time, it is much closer than before, almost echoing about you. Galrin suddenly lets go of your arm with a start, and he steps back, fading into the mist, muttering over and over again. She won't rest till this ship rests with her. Beneath the waves. Beneath the waves. Maya massages her now sore arm. And stands a little closer to Kalina and Marcus. How are each of you feeling as you head towards the bow of the ship? Especially concerning what he told you about Atsakan. And this recent revelation of there being a ghost. Maya is not afraid of ghosts. Having been one herself, she's more thinking about the you're gonna die on ants again reminiscent. But she's probably thinking, yeah, yeah, if the ship doesn't sink and kill me first. But is also a little bit excited because we have lucked out and are going to be in the bow of the ship and she's going to get another look at Sharuna. Marcus will turn to both Kalina and Maya and just kind of softly say, are y'all just y'all just hear that there seems to be a lot of things that will kill us like scary things I mean it's been fun so far with you know Egano and Sylvie and, and Luscious and all that about Mary and stuff like that and Alice's lion roars but this is getting it's getting real serious now. Are we sure we're ready for this? I don't really think we have a choice, Marcus. I think we're we're just learning that we're really gonna need to be very careful while we're there. We don't we can't take anything for granted. I mean it's about kind of what I expected, although I didn't expect to deal with a ghost right now on the a ship that has a different name. Huh. How do we keep finding ghosts? I mean, if there is a real ghost, he seems a little... Not all there. I mean, maybe there's some other explanation. Not that I'm saying trapped souls are impossible, because, I mean, clearly, who who am I to say that? That's, it's definitely possible. But not necessarily out to kill us. Were almost all the ghosts trying to kill us in the manor? Well, no, not all of them. Some of them wanted to help us. Most did want to kill us, though. I would say it's a good 80% of ghosts. And one of them used a rug on Marcus. Almost suffocated him. Yeah, we really can't forget that. I almost got killed by a rug. Blanket. It, well, something in my mind says there was a blanket, which is even worse. Because really just, we should really just wrap this conversation up. Yep, I, well, yeah. 
it, it was unpleasant and maybe best left behind us. Besides, I want to see Sharuna. Marcus frowns that no one got his joke. Maya's consumed with curiosity about this creature. And Kalina's a bit worried about the laughter that has no source. As you make your way to the bow of the ship, you can take stolen glances towards Sharuna, the creature that many refer to as the serpent. Taking her in once more, this time without the fear and shock of seeing her for the first time, you realize that there is a beauty to her, an alien, unknown beauty. Her scales are not simply blackish blue, but are a gradient. Along her back, arms, sides, and tail, they taper from navy to black. While on her belly, they are a grayish tan, flecked and accented with orange and yellow. The dorsal frills that run the length of her body, from the nape of her neck to the tip of her tail, they lay flat against her, their luminescent tips just barely glowing. Her head, it is draped in fronds and frills, ones that previously stood straight up under duress. They now instead hang down, like hair, giving her an almost human silhouette from behind, from the waist up. Her arms, they're held back, clamped in thick iron chains with two large locks. And where the chains rub against her, you see blistering, swelling, and slight oozing blood. Red blood. Just like your own. Her song, it's mournful. And working up here so close to her, you feel it reach you on an almost different level than before. A song of longing. A longing to return home. A longing to be free. Just like you. Oh man, Maya feels like so much emotion, so much sympathy. Forced from your home, taken by Tal Ran against your will, imprisoned, forced to labor for the evil republic that has destroyed your life. I think hearing the song, Maya will try to get as close to the creature as she can and maybe reach out to pat it, if that's a possibility. If you lean pretty heavily over, yes, you could try to pat it. It would be safer if someone was holding on to you. Maya's about to do something that she doesn't think either of her companions are going to let her do, so she's not going to say anything. Maya, you can begin to lean down. Uh, you can probably lean, get to, say, either her left or right arm. Excellent. I'll let Corey jump in before I I do what I, what I want to do. Yeah, I was going to say, Kalina would notice the iron, the iron locks where her hands are hit, and then, like, elbow Marcus and, like, point towards them. Hmm, but, nope. Just gonna think you can unlock those? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, I could definitely do that. <clears throat> Let's see here. And I'll attempt to unlock them. Clean old Yankum's just like, not right now. I thought you meant right now. 
No, we can't. I don't know where the midshipman's at. And it's all. It's too bright. But you sent unlocked. You took. I unlocked. I don't know. I. I took. I take things literally. I was asking if you could do it, not if you could do it right this second. Listen, I. Okay, never mind. You know what? Just. I'm sorry. I, I thought you maybe do it right now. I just want to be useful. I'm going through this kind of psychoanalysis thing in my head where I'm not very useful right now because I got knocked off and fainted with a glittery shark coming at me. I'm just a little, I'm a little, a little on edge. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I'll, I, I apologize. I'll make it clear that it was just a question. If you could do it next time, I was just, you're the one that's supposed to get a sneaking, not me. <laughs> I can I can sneak pretty well if I get the opportunity to sneak. I mean, it's been two weeks or three weeks. I've only been able to snuck one time. Listen, listen, Kalina, Kalina. I'm, I am. How old are you again? I can't remember. I'm sorry. <laughs> Twenty-eight. Okay, listen, in a couple of years, you're gonna wake up one morning, and you're gonna be on the slow decline of aging and you're gonna wake up that morning your knees are gonna hurt you're gonna start to complain about things you never did complain about and it's all downhill from there and right now I'm like running half a tank we got a giant snake leading us we got people with goggles that can send them places or show places we got so much going on right now and we have to deal with crazy, crazy monsters. And I'm sorry if I'm ranting. I'm just a little stressed. Whenever you mention that, clean it, like at 30, everything will go downhill. Clean will give like a horrified look and just be like, "But I, we live much longer than that, right?" Uh, it, it's it's fine. I just I'm not good at planning unless it's just you know run straight forward and just get it done. But, but I know the midshipman is somewhere. And I just wanted to make sure you could do it because there's no point in trying unless you can do it. Uh, let's just go for fishing and wait for the midshipman to walk by. Listen, I'm sorry. I think we've, I think we we have stepped in a, a, a pile of manure that is this conversation. And let me be the first one to wash your feet. Uh, just, it's fine. Don't. You don't need to wash my feet. That's a little too much. It's just the it's just a phrase. I'm not really gonna wash your feet. That's weird. Ah, <sighs> thank God. That would have been so weird. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna shut up now. This is what happens when I talk for too long. Well, Marcus and Kalina have been in this deep conversation. Maya, what were you reaching out to do? Thank you so much. Okay, so I'm sort of imagining hearing the song and feeling this deep sympathy, Maya is almost in a bit of, like, not actually in a trance, but almost in that sort of dreamlike, trance-like state, and she's leaning over to um, like, pat Sharuna reassuringly, and she's probably murmuring, like, it's okay, we're friends, we're gonna help you, it's gonna be okay, Sharuna, don't worry. Um... And she's going to do something incredibly stupid. She is going to, uh, as she's patting and being reassuring, she's going to say, First of the divine, through me, your servant, show us your mercy and compassion and heal these wounds. 
She's going to cast Cure Wounds. What spell slot? Oh, just first. Okay. And She's not suicidal. <laughs> please. And I have to roll you a d100, right? Yes. Please roll me a d100. And please roll me your die for healing. Okay. Let's get this d100 out of the way first. That's a 66. So I'm going to die... But first, let's find out how much healing I do. <laughs> I rolled a one. So, total of five healing. So I'm going to die for, for very little benefit here. Okay. So I have different tables for different types of magic that are being used. The more natural primal magic, arcane magic, divine magic. Mm-hmm. Your healing spell will work. But it has to draw from somewhere to do it. So for every hit point, you're going to heal up to a maximum of five, because that's what you rolled for your cure wounds. You will lose one hit point. Ah, okay. That sounds painful. Trade of one for one, as the wounds on Sharuna move from her to you. Okay. How much are you going to do? Are you going to do all five? Yes, I think that Maya will do all five. It's almost like in that dreamlike state, the sympathy is so strong that she feels Sharuna's pain. And then she really literally does feel Sharuna's pain. As you reach out and touch her, she shudders, and there's a brief moment where her song stops. And then it begins again. And as it does, her song, it takes on less of a mournful tone to one that is more curious and thankful, but also still incredibly sad at her own situation. And you don't close all of her wounds. But you do heal a bit around her wrists, and now around both of your wrists, it's as if you were in, had been in manacles for days. You have bruising, the skin is cracking a bit, there's a bit of blistering. Mm-hmm. Maya will give Sharuna a few last gentle pats and words of comfort, and then will kind of look at her wrists and mutter, I hope Sylvia has something for these. But she doesn't regret it. I think her life has really taught her the the importance and value of self-sacrifice. And as you wonder about that, you can see the midshipman is making his way towards you guys. Maya will pull back away from the monster uh, and help cast the fishing net. Trying not to let anything touch her wrists. And he will walk past you, and you continue your work. It is around... six bells. The light is fading. And the mist above deck has turned a gentle pink that fades into a violet. A violet that is perhaps like the color of Atsakite. Marcus, 
The dull pressure you felt in your head since you awoke has been rising, has been building to a crescendo, and now it is a numbing buzz at the back of your mind. And suddenly, it goes silent, and you hear the warden's voice in the back of your mind. Report. Do not speak aloud, only within your mind. Today is Murgistam. The first of your reports to the warden. Marcus will say in his head, Well, it's nice to, to see you and talk to you as well. What do you need? How fares the Dauntless? Fair as well. We're heading to where we need to be. Have the colonists made any trouble? Doesn't seem so. There's strange rumors of things abound in the land, but other than that, nothing much to speak of. Has the Dauntless faced any monsters yet? Wouldn't know of a slime slug or slime gel is a monster, but it has made an appearance a time or two. Just a slime. Nothing has come from the water or from the air. The log says that they were attacked multiple times on their first trip through the wall. Well, to be honest, I've been incapacitated for some time. So I'm, if something happened, I'm not aware of Anything that uh, would give credence to that. Perhaps the Triadrians simply smile upon the Dauntless at this time. Has the Dauntless faced any storms? Not that I know of again. It's possible, but uh, there's not much to report, unfortunately. We're just sailing on through. Of course. Has anything been sighted in the mists? Not that I'm aware of, ma'am. You are dismissed. And with that, you feel the pressure that had been building in your mind release and fade. You shake your head and return to focusing on your work. While you feel that you were able to obfuscate the truth by not saying necessarily things, and that most of her questions really were about things that hadn't occurred as of yet, you have a sickening feeling that she knows more than what she just asked for. With that feeling in Marcus's stomach, we will travel down to the galley. It's around seven bells that Quintus returns to the galley. He comes down to ensure that Sharuna can be fed. You, Alice, have prepared her kelp and fish. And the cook is happy to send you on your way to aid him. Are you going to talk to him at all as you head up from the galley and out onto deck, heading towards the bow? Oh yes, Alice chats up a storm about their adventures and you know, their trip through the mansion. He tells he tells Quintus the, the real story. He tells him f- fully everything. His eyes are wide. He describes, you know, the victorious Kalina and triumphing with the 
triumphing, knocking the dagger out of his hand, and how he alone held back the tentacles of Kilgosa, tells him what a sea guide is. When you tell him about the sea guide, he pipes up and says, There's a tower like that uh, down by the beach that we first landed on on Atsakam. Is it activated? Is it is it glowing? Does it look like it's glowing? The captain didn't send any of the, any parties that way. Uh, there was enough to look at elsewhere. But and and it was really misty around it. But yeah. Oh well, that must have made it very hard to see then. Not for me. Why is that? Not for you. Oh, I can see straight through all this. What you can? I'm shocked. He looks at you with, like, a side eye, because is this adult talking down to me? (laughs) I think he's more trying to deceive than trying to talk down. He's trying to make it sound like he's actually surprised. He looks at you like that, and then your story continues, and he just is right back into it. And you were looking down at the bucket. Right. This is surely a lot of food for a serpent-like creature. I mean, my serpent-like creature doesn't, wouldn't nearly eat this much, would you? And he's going to try and get Lazelbub to answer. As Lazelbub sort of, maybe he uncurls a bit, brings his face down to the boy, his tongue flickers out. Quintus freezes for a moment and then is like, Cat? Snake? And his hands reach out towards Lazelbub. <laughs> and starts to try and pet your familiar. And Lazelbub, for the first moment, is sort of affronted about this. And then quickly goes, oh, oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that's, that's fine. <laughs> Only one direction. Not both. <laughs> two hands. Two hands, yes. Two hands. I said two hands, without actually saying any of that out loud to Quintus, you're hearing that in your head. (laughs) Alice will say to to Quintus, I hope you can keep this secret uh, just between us. I guess I've seen what they do to creatures they don't understand around here. She saved me, and her song kept all the monsters away. But the captain and Mama Colian, both of them, they say that if she isn't here singing, the monsters are going to get everyone. There are these things that fly. They come flying out of the water, grab people, drag them back down yonder what they're doing to her it's wrong and you see that it looks like he's gonna cry you're right to shed tears over this catastrophe and if anyone had tried to take my snake creature thing that saved me I wouldn't let them and she saved you once so I hope you can find the chance to, I don't know, save her. Maybe. 
I hope so. I'm worried about her. She's getting sadder every day. Pretty soon, I'm sure that she'll just stop singing anyway. Well, we won't let that happen. And we'll do whatever it takes to save her and her song. He wipes his eyes on his sleeve and he looks up at you. His eyes are puffy, his face is red. And he smiles. And because he's a little kid, he's missing a couple teeth. And it's cute. Alice smiles, but um, in a begrudging way. Like, you know, because like, he doesn't really like children. Anyway. And a few moments later, you will be crossing the deck. And you will see that on the bowsprit are Marcus, Maya, and Kalina. All fishing. But right nearby, as Alice is crossing to the bowsprit, Sylvie, you've definitely noticed that it seems like uh, quite a few of your chosen family are right near where the creature is. Are you going to specifically look away? I don't think so. I think Sylvie would keep watching because she's worried and also because she's, yeah, I think she would keep watching. Can I ask a technical question about the glasses that Sylvie would know the answer to? Mm-hmm. When Sylvie is, like, wearing the glasses, I know that it combines the sort of the powers of people's eyesight, but does it also allow you to see through their eyes? How the item is written is that it combines the powers of the eyesight. To your knowledge, it doesn't actually seem like it allows you really to see what other people are actually seeing. It was probably more of just uh, a play on words with how Sylvie was talking, but it does expand your like range of vision. Okay, I just wanted to check to be really sure that Sylvie wouldn't think the other people wearing the glasses would see what she's seeing if she watches. So long as Sylvie makes sure that they don't doesn't move attention to that area on the ship, it's unlikely that they will because generally there's three people up here looking in different three different directions to try and cover off as much the ship as possible. Sylvie, is there anything that goes through your mind as you see your companions all gathering together near the front of the ship? I think for a second she would go, oh gosh, are we? is, the, is it going to happen? Are we going to just do it now? But then she'd be like, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. It'll be fine. Everybody's there. It'll be fine. Maya, Marcus, Kalina. You hear boots coming towards you. And you think that probably is the, f- the midshipman. Until you hear Alice's voice and Quintus's voice as they approach the bow of the Dauntless. Oh, Alice, I'm so glad you're here. Oh, I'm glad I'm here, too. I'm on feeding duty with dear Quintus here. Quintus, say hello to everyone. These are all of my dear friends. Hi. It's It's been a while. Hello, Quintus. 
He smiles. Hi, Kalina. Hi, Marcus. Hi, Maya. Howdy. How have you been? Is the captain treating you? I'm treated really good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. That's important. Good. Yes, well, Quintus was telling me while he's treated good, his dear friend, um... I forgot the name. Hold on, I haven't written that. Quintus looks at you. Sharuna? Sharuna. Sharuna of... Uh, his girlfriend is not treated very well. She has some terrible sores where the manacles are holding her. Maya holds up her wrist a little bit sheepishly. I could only help a little bit. Well, we want to help her more than a little bit. Quintus looks at them and then he, he bounds over to the front knee. You see him, he climbs up and, and he talks to her. And he's not talking in common. Not at all. He's talking in a language that I don't think any of you except Alice would have ever heard, though Alice doesn't understand. And she talks back. And and he turns and he looks at you, Maya, and says, Thank you. It it really helps. Her her wrists don't hurt as much. I I just wish there was something we could do about the rest of her wounds. I suppose I could try again, but it's... I wish there were a a better solution. Maya looks pointedly at her companions. Guess what language was it? One you don't understand. I did check everyone's languages first. You said I've heard it. You've heard Beg Hilda speak it before. But she knew almost every language. Oh, man. Hello, listeners. Now, I normally don't interrupt sessions, especially near the end, but I think it best to explain what happened next for each and every one of you that is listening. Due to a misclick, the last 20 minutes of this session was actually not recorded, and after much beating ourselves up about it, we decided that we would recreate the following scene utilizing the roles that we had saved previously and what we could remember. Unfortunately, you will note that Marcus is missing, as he was not able to make the re-recording of this session. And I will instead be providing the actions that Marcus had done during those 20 minutes. I hope that this will suffice. I know it won't be perfect, but it's what we can give you to bridge to the next part in our story. A few more moments go by as Quintus continues to speak to Sharuna, until he falls silent, and Sharuna does as well. He turns and looks back to you. I told her that you're friends, that you're going to help her. You can get close to her. She's she's not going to hurt you. Don't worry. And he'll just look at each of you with a pleading look. Well, thank you. Can you do one more thing? Can you distract the midshipmen for us? Yeah, yeah, sure, okay. And he'll run off deeper into the mist. You can hear his pitter-patter of feet disappearing into the distance. Alice will turn to his familiar, and he will will him to follow the boy. Beazelbub, uh, go keep an eye on him and send word to directly to my brain 
if any, if the midshipman is coming. Lazelub rolls its eyes. But as you have willed it, does follow as you command, and will slink off your shoulder and down onto the deck, and will slither and run at the same time into the mist, disappearing in the direction of Quintus. Alright, if we're gonna do this, now's the perfect time, Marcus. Marcus stands there for a moment with a bit of confusion on his face. Now's the right time. Don't worry about it. Let's go. Kalina, can you hold on to him so he doesn't fall in? Of course. I mean, not that he would, but just, just to be safe. As Marcus gets close to the edge, to the bow, and he begins to climb up, what are each of you going to do to help? Well, I could use Emboldening Bond. Who would you like to use Emboldening Bond on? On Marcus for his lockpicking, and then on Kalina for helping to steady him, I guess. Kalina, how are you going to steady Marcus? She'll grab, like, around his waist and kind of pin herself uh, against the rail of the deck so that he kind of has, like, a counterweight to him going forward. Okay. Alice? I guess I'll help, too, with lowering him, even though it'll probably be more for show. (laughs) But Alice will do so, and I'm going to keep a particular eye on the waves uh, to try and stabilize him if I see a big one coming. Sounds good. Okay. Maya, are you going to cast, or not cast, but invoke your emboldening bond? Yes. Yes, I am. Cain, help these two to do what they must so that we can succeed. As you invoke the bond between them, it's almost as if for a brief moment there's a flare of light isn't exactly visible in the normal spectrum, but is visible to those connected and to those close to you. And it forms an almost an ethereal cord that connects Kalina to Marcus. Sylvie, up in the up in the crow's nest, as you've been looking towards your companions, towards the front, You can see that bond, that almost manifestation of friendship that is forged between Kalina and Marcus by Maya's prayer. Which I should note is being drawn from inside and not through divine magic. As Marcus is lowered down towards the right padlock on the chains, he can see... Sharuna closer. She's less of a monster. Just like how Maya saw her. She almost seems like a person. Her form may be different, but there's a look in her eyes. Marcus reaches out to the lock and begins to pick it. He rolls a 21, and then rolls a d4, for a total of 25 thieves' tools. Kalina, as you hold Marcus's belt, and Alice, you stabilize them. You notice a large wave coming in the distance. 
You pull back just as needed, which also raises the chain just enough that it begins to, that it takes pressure off of Sharuna. As the wave passes, Marcus gives the last click. And with it, with Maya's prayers surrounding you, that first padlock, that first bulky lock comes off. Sharuna begins to shake her right arm, the chain rattling as she pries the manacle apart. Noise seems to almost explode into this quiet night. Up in the crow's nest, Sylvie, you can hear the sound. Behind you, you hear Khan say, What was that? Oh, I don't think it was anything. Maybe something in the mist. I, I don't see anything. Can you give me a persuasion check? Oh, sure. Of course. I rolled a five. So. Khan begins to... He sort of shakes his head and he begins to move forward towards where you are to look down. And you know that in only a few moments he's going to see your companions. I'm going to spin around really fast because it made everybody else dizzy last time I did it. So nobody can look and see what everybody's doing. Oof. Okay. As you spin, Khan is going to suddenly lose his balance. Luscious is also going to. You feel your equilibrium go completely out from under you. And within moments, the three of you are all collapsed in the crow's nest. As you lay there, looking up at the misty skies, hoping that your this has bought your friends some time, you hear Midshipman Ferreira, down on the Dauntless, down on the deck somewhere, go, What was that? To which you hear Quintus go, Oh, hi! Hi, Midge, hi, hi, hi Midshipman Ferreira. It's such a nice night. Yeah. Oh, I didn't hear anything. What are you talking about? Oh, it just must have been something out there. Something in the mist. As Quintus tries to distract the midshipman, Marcus reaches down to the second lock, and with a 19, it comes popping off as well. As this shackle comes off and the chains fall, there is a cacophony of sound as the chains smash down, crashing against the side of the ship. But Sharuna looks to you, and for a brief moment, it almost looks like she smiles, which is sort of unnerving because she has fish teeth. And then she uncoils from around the figurehead, how she'd been holding herself up to make sure these chains didn't press so deeply. And she dives. She slips into the water below, and she seems to all but vanish in moments. Before her head, her very scales and hair-like frills, illuminated with a pale bioluminescence, rises from the water. She locks eyes with each of you, as if to convey the message. Your kindness will not be forgotten. And then she's gone. You hear the sound of Quintus and the midshipmen getting closer. 
Alice, you suddenly feel you're familiar. Lazelbub's voice rings out in your mind. They're coming. Alice will repeat this to the group and begin to try to pull Marcus up. Can I, like, grab the fishing net and be holding it up, sort of, like, looking at it, partially shielding Alice and Marcus and Kalina from view? Kalina will try and also help Alice pull Marcus upright so he looks like he wasn't leaning over. As you struggle to pull Marcus up, there's the sound of footsteps approaching. Maya, as you look back, as you're trying to shield them, you see the first mate, Mr. Croup, emerging from the fog. Beside him, the silhouetted forms of the ship's mage and a cadre of officers. Officers come to investigate the sounds made during Sharuna's release. A bit behind them, you see Quintus clinging to Midshipman Ferreira, trying as if to still stop him, but now realizing that it was futile. Mr. Croup's mouth opens with a bellow. His slightly teal-blue skin tinges red with anger. You fools! You have doomed us all! He draws his sword as to the other officers. The ring of it, like that of an executioner sharpening his axe. Surrender now, and you'll face just punishment. Resist, and you will be given no quarter. And that is where we'll end that session. listening to Roll With Adventure, where we bring you this story from our imagination to your ears. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe for future episodes, rate us where you get your podcast, and visit us at www.rollwithadventure.com. If you'd like to contact us, you can write us at dm at rollwithadventure.com. Our intro and outro music is Brave by Arcane Anthems. Thanks for the components of this episode's soundscapes. Go to zapsplat.com, Purple Planet Music, and Arcane Anthems. Full credits are in the episode description. If Carlos comes in. What do you mean, if I come in? I just got home from work. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> da, 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 da. You're all good. Don't worry. At least you're alive. Is it me? If you're saying anything, you're muted. But you might just be writing down still. Oh, man. Oh, no! Oh, man, no, I was... I did, um... What is a young man like you doing without... Sorry, hold on. (laughs) The words form differently than how they should have. So, um... Sorry. Out of character, I was overwhelmed by our ship name that popped up in the Discord chat. Um, Silchus. <laughs> it's great. It's official. <laughs> it's either that or Sloshus. I'm not sure which one. Uh, Lilvi kind of rolls off the tongue as well. 
Sloshes kind of sounds like kind of dirty, like slosh. Or like they're serial killers. Uh, very, yeah, slasher films. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> there you see her, sitting there across the crow's nest. She don't got a lot to say, but there's something about her. Sorry. Sha-la-la. Sha-la-la-la-la-la. Don't be shy. You might have probed her mind. You want to kiss the girl. Wow, wow. <laughs> okay, I'm muting myself now. Uh, Emmy, you can reply to Luscious. Oh, gosh. What was the question? What was the statement? Oh, I think he just told you a portion of his tragic backstory, which isn't even all of it. There's more? (laughs) To which Josh laughed, and the last thing recorded was him saying, Oh dear. Oh no. That is where the recording ends. Just putting that out there. How ominous.